Amen. So we're going to continue here. We've been teaching this message on receiving healing from God. And in light again of what's happening in society, um, we're going to see if we get that far. That healing is synonymous with God's covenant. We took the Lord's Supper earlier, took communion, and we're talking about how um, the Lord provided for his people and disclosed himself to be the Lord, their physician. And that's true today. And it's something that's, that's relevant to the times that we're living in. And so we're going to continue to revisit some scriptures here to build this uh, framework about about healing and um, a broader context is not just healing but we're talking about really about covenant It's really not just about healing it's about covenant healing itself is not just a thing that operates independently healing is part of God's covenant along with blessing and provision and goodness and grace all of those things are are, are the benefits and the attributes of being in covenant relationship with God and so that's really the, the dominant theme for us to focus on during the times that we live is understanding what it means to be in covenant relationship with the God, with God and understanding all of the, the provisions that come along with being in covenant with him. Um, I, I made a statement here and I got some extra notes here. I, I believe with what's happening in the church right now, I mentioned before, some of this is good, what's happening in the body of Christ even. I think we're in a time of, of divine equilibrium call it a time of divine equilibrium, a time of, of reformation, I believe, is, is beginning in the church where God is bringing the church back into balance and focus. I think it's getting us back to the point that we really start to understand what matters and what doesn't matter. Uh, we're seeing that this weekend. Really quickly, a lot of stuff has been shaved off and canceled, and it really brings you back to what's, what matters and what, that, what doesn't matter. What are the fundamentals of who we are and what we what we believe. And so I think the benefit of this is this kind of a reformation. And I'm, I'm praying that it'll be fruitful and God will continue it to purify the church. Yes. Judgment begins in the house of God. And so I'm I'm praying for this. God, straighten the church out. If you're going to use this to to get a, help get us right, then I pray that it doesn't end quickly. Amen. I'm praying, you know, let it let it let it go, because we need to. We sometimes need things to jolt us and to shake us out of just being silly and silly preaching and silly church services and entertainment. Sometimes we need some things to shake us out of those things. And um, it's bringing the church, I believe, back into balance and focus to advance the purposes of God uh, significantly in the earth. And it's really preparing us for the for the day of the Lord. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Let's let's go to work. We're going to come from a number of different angles here. I don't even know how this. I don't even know this is all going to line up, but we're just going to we're going to do kind of a potluck today and just <laughs> smorgasbord and come from different angles. Let's start at Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. Second Timothy two fifteen. It tells us this: Be diligent to present yourselves approved to who? God. Come on. So sometimes in the scriptures we talk about what I call an audience of one. We have an audience of one that even though we stand and we serve and we engage with people, we have responsibilities. Truthfully, we have an audience of one. And so you see that represented here. Be diligent. Anytime you see diligent, that means it takes work. It takes effort. It's not something that comes automatically, but effort and intentionality is involved. So be diligent to present yourselves approved to who again? To God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Listen at this phrase here, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
So a part of this diligence and preparing yourself to God means responsibility on your part and my part to rightly divide the word of truth. That certainly this is in the context of Paul speaking to Timothy, which Timothy as a pastor and a Bible teacher, he's speaking directly here for people like me. But this goes for every believer. The, the importance of rightly dividing the word of truth. If the scriptures admonish us to rightly divide the word of truth, then there, that the antithesis is also true that there's a way to wrongly divide the word of truth. If there's a rightly, there's a wrongly. So it tells us here to rightly or accurately divide the word of truth. I think, I think a different translation, maybe the New, the New Living Translation says to, co to correctly explain the word of God. Not just an explanation, but a correct explanation of the word of God. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 16, listen at this warning. But shun profane and idle babblings. And listen at the effect. For they will increase to more ungodliness. In verse 17, it says, and their message will spread like cancer. So here's a picture of Paul talking to Timothy and saying, teach the word accurately, rightly divide the word, explain it correctly. Because he says these profane babblings. Remember, Paul also talks to Timothy about endure sound doctrine. He says we're in the last days. People are going to be turned aside to fables, having itching ears, heaping up for themselves teachers to tell them the things that they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. So teach sound doctrine. Paul is speaking along those same lines here about rightly dividing the word of truth. And he says the effect of when people teach silly messages. He says it causes ungodliness to increase in the church. The people suffer that people become more ungodly. And then he says that kind of message is spreads like cancer. In other words, it's the most popular thing out. Wow. Mm. It becomes really, really popular and it spreads. But but a cancer spreads in an adverse way, because as it spreads, it kills. It destroys. And so Paul is painting a picture that whenever you don't teach the word of God the right way and hold a standard for the truth of God's word, it produces more ungodliness and it spreads something that literally eats and destroys and deteriorates the body of Christ. But it's popular. Mm. And so he said we need we need to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, I share with you before that, you know, which I, I don't think about this stuff at all. There's a there's a whole lot of stuff. We're not we ain't, we we don't have. But you know what? We're going to get the word right. Amen. By God's grace, we're going to we're going to get the word of God right, because, again, in times like this, what else matters? Amen. What else matters? You know, it wouldn't benefit anybody to know how funny I am right now. <laughs> how good of a singer I am or I'm not. That's not my deal. But but it's, it's encouraging to know. I, I use the analogy. You got you got hangers in your closet. But nobody pays attention to the rods. What good is a hanger without a without a, a rod? You got to have something to hook the hanger on. And I feel like like for, for us as believers, for our families, for our lives, we're, you need something you can hook on to during these kinds of situations in society when everything is up in the air. What do you hang the hanger on? You need a sturdy rod. And the word of God, the scriptures is that rod in our lives 
that you can hang your hangers on. You can hang your life, your marriage, your parenting, your provision, direction, the wisdom, the whatever knowledge you need during this time. You got you got something in your life that you can hang your life on, which is so, so important during these times. Somebody say amen. amen. So I, I'm thankful, thankful for this. And so um, just talking about faith here again, that is, is not just something you don't not so much about knowing how to work. It works in terms of its importance is a matter of us actually working it, not understanding all the mechanics. So let's continue here. Let's go to first Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. And we're just going to get through a lot of stuff here as much as we can. I made this statement last week and sometimes I come back to actually put the scriptures up because I'll quote something and talk about it. But I like to provide the scripture reference so that we see it in the context of God's word and we actually have a, a biblical address so that you can take notes and revisit these things. I've, I've mentioned this last week's First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46, it says this. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual It's in this context. Paul is talking about in a, in a larger context about corruption, um, uh, putting on incorruption. And he's talking a lot about the spirit world and the natural world. And he ends with this statement. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Keep that in mind. The spiritual is not first. But the natural and afterward, the spiritual. I'm going to come back to that phrase in a moment. If the natural was more important, I shared last, shared last week, I remember what I said, the difference between priority and importance, that everything that comes first is not necessarily most important. And everything that's most important doesn't necessarily come first. That sometimes priority and importance are two different things. And so when the scripture says that the spiritual doesn't come first, but the natural it says in terms of priority, the natural comes first, but certainly the spiritual is more important than the natural. But the natural comes first. Why? Because we live in the natural. We live, we live a natural life. And so that is where there's never a contradiction between natural things and spiritual things. We live, we live in the natural. If the natural was more important than the spirit, time would last forever and eternity would be short. You understand that? If the natural was more important than the spiritual, Time would last forever and eternity would be short. But the opposite is true. Eternity is forever, but time is short because the spiritual is more important than the natural. But Paul says concerning life on this earth, the natural comes first. Keep in mind, Paul never said live in the spirit. He says walk in the spirit. We live a natural life. But we he says walk in the spirit. That's very important for us to understand in terms of how do we face off with the things that we're dealing with, the things that we're saying right now, as we're continuing to talk about faith, these, these nuggets and these principles are very important to us. Let's see it apply here. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. We've looked at this a number of times. 1 John 5, 4 says this, For whatever is born of who? God. Whatever is born of God overcomes. Everybody say overcomes. Overcomes. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Whatever is born of God, whatever is inspired by, initiated by, whatever God spawns, whatever is communicated by him, his word, his presence, the things of the spirit, anything attached to God coming from God, the Bible says it overcomes the world. Let's just say the spiritual overcomes the natural. Amen. Now that word overcome, I'll, I'll tell you why, you know, you know what that word overcomes means. And you might not even know that you know what it means. The word overcome is a Greek word 
Nikeo. Nikeo means Nike. That's where we get the, the gym shoe, Nike. It's a Greek word, Nikeo. That word, Nikeo, is overcome. What was, what was the god of Nike, or what does Nike mean in the Greek? It means victory. It means to overcome. It means to defeat your enemy. That's the concept of what Nike, or Nikeo, that word overcomes. So whatever is born of God, Nike, Nikeo, overcomes the world, has victory, complete domination. It means to totally conquer. That's why they put it as a gym shoe, because if you wear Nikes, they, you're going to win. That's, that, that's what they're trying to tell you, which is not true. <laughs> but that's the concept. If you wear our shoe Nike, somebody knew that. You're going to win. No, whatever is born of God, yes. Nike, Nikeo, overcomes and wins everything that's in the world. And it says, here's the victory. How do you apply it? Two words, our faith. The only, way, the only way to win, the only way to overcome anything in the world, you can only win by faith. That is why I said spiritual things are more important than natural things, even though natural is priority, the spirit is more important. And when we get the concept mixed up and we start to think that the natural is more important than the spirit, then we'll live in the natural out of faith and we'll never experience Nike. Well, you, you cannot experience victory in the natural, even though the, the natural comes first. And when I say the natural comes first, we live a natural life. Everything we do spiritually is initiated by some natural action. Right. OK. Um, giving. Let's let me give you an example. You read Acts chapter 10. The Bible talks about Cornelius. Right. Literally because of his giving and his prayers in the natural. The angel comes to Cornelius and said, in response to what you did in the natural, in the spirit, a memorial is being built for you in the presence of God. Your alms and your prayers have come up before God as a memorial in the throne room of God. This is what the angel tells Cornelius. But he did something in the natural because this natural comes first and then the spiritual. Something was being built in the heaven because he was giving and praying in the natural. Are you understanding this? I think I quoted the other day that, that the angel tells Daniel in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel, I have come because of your words. And he's explaining how the angels are fighting and Michael had to come and rescue this angel and the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. Greece. War broke out all because Daniel prayed in the natural. But then something started shifting in the spirit because of what he did in the natural. If praying, fasting, baptism, giving, communion, it's just, it's just a wafer, it's just a cup of juice. The, the natural comes first, but it always triggers something in the spirit yes. that there's a reaction in the spirit world every time we do something in obedience to God in the natural. That's right. And so that's why Paul is explaining the natural comes first, but then the spirit. The natural is priority, but the spirit is most important. And so we have to know that the spiritual things are most important. What's happening in the spirit world is what's really important. But it begins with something in the natural. But the natural, even though it's a priority, is not of greater importance to us. We are spiritual people. Amen. Amen. Are you, this, is, this is huge. Are you, you tracking with me today? Yes. 
this is this is so important in terms of how faith works. And again, why Paul admonishes us walk by faith and not by sight. Did if you get locked into thinking is all about the natural, he says you will miss you will miss the spiritual things. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. There is nothing in the world that can overcome the world. It takes something out of the world, separate from the world to overcome the world. You can't you can't get victory over the world in the world and subject to the world system. You got you got to you got to operate outside of the world if you're going to actually have authority over it. Two characteristics of the nature of God I shared before is that God is both transcendent and God is imminent throughout creation. He's transcendent and he's imminent. Imminent means that God is in the leaves. It means he's he's in the grass. He's in the ecosystem. His life is in the animals. His life is in people. Imminent in creation means that God is in everything. But transcendent means that God exists apart from everything. So that everything ceases to exist. God doesn't cease to exist even though he is imminent. He's also transcendent. And so it's as though you could say that God can step into creation, but then he can step out of creation so that creation doesn't exist anymore. If he wanted to, he could take us back to Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God. Yes. <laughs> if he wanted to, he could go all the way back to, to when it was just him. I am alone by himself. And he decided to create that's because God is transcendent. So get this. Whatever is born out of that transcendency, that transcendency, which is separate from creation, it takes something out of the transcendent nature of God to overcome the world. And it does overcome the world because the world itself came out of that transcendency. Everything created. Out of his words, the same God that said, let there be and created every natural thing. That same word also has authority over every created thing still today. The same power in Genesis 1, 1 to create is the same power that sustains. It's the same word that Jesus has now given to you and I so that we operate by that same authority. It's the word of God. Amen. And so he tells us here that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. When you get something from God, it has Nike, Nikeo over every created thing. And this is the victory. How do you tap into the transcendency of God? How do you access that kind of power? There's only one way to do it by faith. There's only way. There's only one way. To overcome the world, there's only one way to access God's power. You have to do it by faith. And that access has only, it's by faith that we have access into this grace in which we stand. Maybe Romans 5 2. By faith, we have access into this grace. Can you give me that, Sean? I, I might as well put this down because it ain't. <laughs> Romans, Romans 5 2. By faith, we have access. Is that right? Yes. By faith, we have access into this grace in which we stand. 
So we're standing in the graces available to us, but it tells us the only way to access the grace is by faith. You see that? Yes. Through whom, speaking of Christ, we have this phrase right here, access by faith, by faith. The only way to get in, the combination to the lock, the key to the door, the swipe card, the authorization to enter. The only way we have access into the grace in which we're already standing concerning the fact that Jesus has already come. He says in grace for grace, the law was unto Moses, but Jesus came full of grace and truth. The grace of God is available. We're standing in the grace in the new covenant grace of God right now. But even though you're standing in it, if you don't have the key code, the access, the combination to access it, even though you're standing in it, you can't operate in it. Amen. Because you need you need access. And the only way to get access to all the grace of God that is available to us, the only way to get access is one way, by faith. To access the transcendency of God. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Nikao, our faith, our faith gives us access. There is only one way to access the power, the grace of God the provision of God that we need during this time. We have to access it by faith. And that access is the only thing that ultimately overcomes the world. Are you with me this morning? This is so, this is so important. This is how it works. And I, I, I again believe that, that during this time of reformation, it's, it's some, you know, the Bible says God is a jealous God. Mm-hmm. So what that, what that means practically is that God watches our lives And everything we put faith and trust in other than him, God's like, I'm going to, I'm going to come, I'm going to get that out of you. I'm coming out. He, he's got an issue, a serious issue with everything in our life that occupies his space and attention that he deserves. God takes exception to it. And I'm telling you, he's coming after to dismantle and to attack. He's going to tear that idol down out of your life. He's not going to let you rest until he tears it down. Because he's jealous. You remember how the Bible says that the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God went into the temple of Dagon. And the next day they came back and saw Dagon, the the idol had fallen over on his face. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And they said, okay, that was a something happened. They go prop the idol back up. But the problem is they didn't take the box out of the room. (laughs) And so the next day, they prop the idol back up. This time, the idol had fallen over again. And this time it says his hands had been cut off. The head of the thing was off. That idol will not and cannot stand in the presence of God. And when God begins to show up, I'm telling you, every idol, idol is going to be decapitated. His hands going to be cut off. That thing's going to be knocked over in your life until God gets the glory because he's a jealous God. Come on. Come on. I, I'm, this is why I'm praying. This is good. If he's if he's shaking some idolatry out of the church right now. Hey, that's a good thing. It's, it's God has always used persecution and hard times to get his people back in order. You study the Old Testament. He, whenever God wanted to get Israel back in line, here come the enemies. Here come the Philistines. Here come the Amalekites. Here come the Assyrians. 
that whatever kind of he knew, he knew just how much pressure was needed to push them to cry out to him, to come to a place of repentance, to come back to him. And God would set, raise up the prophet to say, turn, turn for why? You, why would you die? He's calling them to repentance. Call a fast. It's time to come back to the Lord. Call a solemn assembly. God always knew how to put just enough squeeze on his people to get his people to come back to faith in Jehovah. Right. I pray that this is a time of squeezing that we're getting the church right right now. Amen. Amen. I believe it's a time of reformation to help us really understand and know what matters and what doesn't matter. Amen. Idols will always fall in the presence of a holy God. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, I don't know how. I got on that from First John five four, but it's a it's a it's a faith it's a faith issue, you know. So let's look at one more one more here. I, I shared this one on Friday. Just Exodus chapter two verse three twenty three. Sean, look at this. I shared this one a little bit on Friday. This this kind of plays this narrative that I'm talking about. Remember now, the natural comes first, and then the spiritual. Now it happened in the process of time. It's very very important phrase there in the process of time. I think I mentioned on Friday, this is true. Every, every purpose of God, every promise of God, every prophecy of God has a corresponding process that comes along with it. Every purpose, promise of God, every prophecy has a corresponding process that comes along with it. This scripture says now in the process of time, the king of Egypt died. So let's rightly divide the truth. The truth. Remember, I, I've, I've shared with you before the principle of analogy of fidei, that scripture is his own best interpreter. So you always got to you always got to research and understand what God has done in other places in relationship to what he's saying here. That little phrase at the verse beginning of verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. That is a very significant phrase. Let me tell you why. If you go back to Genesis chapter 15, and if you remember in Genesis chapter 15, when God was actually establishing his covenant with Abraham for the nation of Israel, God called Abraham out of Haran, out from among his family to a country that I show you. Genesis 12, 13, 14, 15 was the birth and the beginning of the nation of Israel. It was the actual birth of the Jewish people that would come through the seed, would be the seed and the descendants of Abraham. And you see that in verse chapter 15, you really see the meeting that God had with Abraham to give birth to the Jewish people, which would ultimately open the door for, for the Messiah to come to give people like you and me Gentiles access to that grace by faith. That whole process that involves the totality of our Christianity, everything Christianity is, it all backs up to Genesis chapter 15 to one meeting that God had with Abraham. And in that one meeting, if you remember what happened, you'll know it when I describe it to you. Abraham fell into a deep sleep and it was there that previously God told Abraham, watch this. Remember, everybody say covenant. covenant. So remember now we just said the cup of the new when we took communion, come on, this will help you understand why all of this stuff is so important. So here in Genesis 15, God's having this meeting with Abraham. He's in a dream before before Abraham had this conversation with God, gave him and God gave him an instruction, said, listen, take some animals, some heifers, split them down the middle, separate the pieces. God told him to sacrifice some animals, split some animals. 
when you split animals, let's just say, watch this, there was blood all on the ground. Mm. Somebody say blood. Blood. <laughs> Sacrifice is bloody. That's mm-hmm. so why Calvary, the, the blood flowed out of Jesus' side. Blood and water. It's, he bled. Blood, blood is so important to covenant and where we are right now. And this is the grounds and the basis of your authority to access the grace of God by faith. I'm telling you, this is so huge. This is why you don't have to be feared. This is why God treats you different than everybody else in society during these times. Because blood has been shed. A transaction has taken place on your behalf. So, so this scene has got animal pieces that are split. There's blood all over the place. And then the Bible says that a, a blazing torch and a smoking oven passed between those animal pieces across all that blood. And that day, God Almighty, Jehovah himself, cut, split the animals, cut covenant with a man named Abraham. It was a suzerainty, what's called a suzerainty covenant. And a suzerainty covenant, only the principle lays out the terms and the conditions of the covenant, and the principle is responsible for all of the provisions of the covenant. The recipient of the covenant doesn't do anything. The principle is 100% responsible. God made what's called a suzerainty covenant with Abraham. When, when God... His presence passed between those animal pieces. This is so important. He did not invite Abraham to walk through the animal pieces with him. Because that means in Abraham would have been responsible for the covenant. God says, you stay over there. And God alone walked through those animal pieces. And God established his covenant with Abraham. And the Bible says real simple. Abraham only did one thing. It was accounted to Abraham because of faith. Are you guys excited about this? I am. Abraham did one thing. He believed God. That's all he did to activate the covenant that God made with Abraham and God says as long as you believe me God tells Abraham this is going back to Genesis chapter 12 blessing I will bless you all of the nations will be blessed whoever blesses you I will bless them God tells them whoever curses you I will curse them your descendants and your children are going to be blessed Abraham are you understand? God, God made a covenant and then he alone walked between those animal pieces and established covenant with Abraham. The, I'm telling you, the only thing Abraham did was one thing. He just believed. But Abraham was a good believer. The Bible says, he, watch this, he staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith fully persuaded that whatever God said, God was going to do it. It says, contrary to hope, in hope he believed that he did not consider the deadness of Sarah's womb, that even though my wife can't produce babies, if God says she's going to have a baby, I'm going to call myself a father of a multitude. Amen. 
All he did was believe. Contrary to hope, in hope he believed. Romans chapter 4, I'm quoting. Because, because he saw God pass between those animal pieces and that blood and God entered into a covenant with him. But watch this. During that ceremony, when, when God was passing through that covenant, making, passing through the animal pieces, making covenant with Abraham, God, God makes this statement. This is so important. In the dream, in the covenant ceremony, God tells Abraham this in Genesis 15, read it. He says, your descendants are going to be carried away to Egypt for 400 years. But God says, I'm going to deliver them. And God says, afterward, they will come out with great possession. Those are words that God said in the covenant ceremony and spoke to Abraham. God says, 400 years, they're going to be sold into Egypt. They're going to struggle. But after 400 years, God says, I'm going to deliver them. And they're going to come out with great possession. God says, 400 years. Do you know 400 years to the day? Amen. Just like God said, the exodus started. Amen. And this is, this is what we see here. All of that, I preached all of that from that one sentence. Now it happened in the process of time. All of that came out of that one sentence. I just described to you the process of time were those 400 years. And so now that those 400 years were up and the people were in bondage, they were struggling, they were having a hard time. Remember I said how God uses pressure and, and affliction sometimes to get our attention? He did that with the Jewish people. Listen, listen to this. Then the children of Israel, everybody say groaned. Groan. Because of what? Bondage. Things were hard and they, they began to realize we need some help. We can't save ourselves. This is too hard. Yes. There's no hope for us. Next part. And they did what? Crying. Who did the crying? Can't you imagine that their, the level of their crying was probably proportionate to the level of their bondage? Maybe the more bondage, the louder, the louder they cry. Yes. So apparently, the cry had to get to a certain level. Then maybe they start out crying softly and God says, that's not loud enough. <laughs> and so the pressure and the bondage got a little more tough. God says, that's not loud enough yet. And maybe I'm going to turn the pressure up a little bit more, a little bit more. And then they hit a certain point here that they cried. Listen at this. And then their cry, watch this, came up to God. Isn't it true that if I whisper, Keith and Nikki can hear me? I got a mic on now, but if I'm talking really <laughs> softly, Tim Tate and Karen and those guys can't hear me. Because if I'm only whispering, only you can hear me. But as I raise the level of my voice, my voice starts to travel further. 
And maybe if I'm loud enough, somebody way down the street can hear me. Because let's just say my cry is getting louder. It says your cry has to come up to God. Past the ceiling. Past the clouds. Past the, past the stratosphere. Past the ionosphere. Past the moon. Somewhere out there what Paul describes as the third heaven. There's a tenor and a certain frequency that the cry of God's people has to rise up and come up to God. Listen to what happens here in the next verse. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant. Watch this. With who? That, are you following this? When their cry came up, God heard them. God remembered that ceremony with Abraham back in Genesis 15 when he passed through those animal carcasses. He remembered what he promised Abraham back then about 400 years and his people coming out. God heard. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. Next part. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. The word acknowledge in the Hebrew is doesn't mean to just kind of acknowledge that I've, I'm cordial. It literally means that God began to take action. That now it was time for him to do what he said he would do to Abraham and keep his word. That means that God now mobilized the mechanics of heaven to follow through on his word. They cried. God heard. God remembered. God looked. God mobilized. And the next thing that happens is that Moses sees a burning bush. And God tells Moses, it's time. It's time for my people to come out. What initiated the process? Their cry. For us, our faith. You get anything out of the word? I'm going to stop there because I'll, I'll be here until Wednesday. <laughs> I'm, I'm just telling you, be encouraged. This is, this is a spiritual deal. This is the natural comes first, but then the spiritual. But the spiritual is more important than the natural. Whatever is born of God, spiritual, overcomes the natural world. And this is the victory that overcomes the natural world, our spiritual faith. The only way for us, for us to win this battle. It's to win it by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and to stand in the covenant that God has made with you and I through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who has now made us to be 
the seed, the sons and daughters of Abraham. Everybody say, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a child of Abraham. And I'm a child of God. And I'm a child of God. Those two truths, your two fathers, God in heaven and Abraham, your father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, brings you into the covenant of God to know that everything is going to be fine with you. Amen. Everything is going to be fine. Amen. Everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Whether in this life or in the next life, everything is going to be, it's going to be fine. Amen. Come on and stand to your feet for a few moments.